was almost like the great crumbling for me. How could this business that I built and people invested again? I didn't want to let the bank down. I didn't want to let investors down. I didn't want to let the employees down. Hello, I'm Robert Tame, and welcome to Working for Compassion. This podcast explores how using compassion and emotional intelligence can improve people's work lives and create competitive advantage for your business. I'll be asking my guests how we can make the world of work a kinder, more engaging and productive place to be. Tune in to learn compassion tips for yourself and your teams before your people start dropping out. Today, my guest is Gillian McLean. Gillian is the founder and CEO of Drake & Morgan, which consists of 19 bars and restaurants in landmark locations across London and Manchester. Gillian has received several industry accolades for her work with Drake & Morgan, which she launched in 2008. And in 2013, she was awarded an MBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for services to the hospitality industry. In today's podcast, we talk about how Gillian saved her business from bankruptcy and how the pandemic has savaged the hospitality industry, leading to widespread PTSD amongst its leaders. We discuss self-compassion, kindness, creating headspace and the virtues of the McLean clan. We debate CEO retreats, inspiring leaders and the new skills required for future success. Gillian talks about her triggers, her fears, creativity and innovation and we receive a couple of visits from my dog Doogie who managed to steal some items from Gillian's bag. This was another fascinating interview about workplace compassion and self-compassion and I was bowled over by Gillian's enthusiasm and the importance she places on kindness in her business and her life. Welcome to the Working for Compassion podcast. I've got a very special guest today, Gillian McLean. And uh, Gillian's actually come and joined me in Compassion HQ, which is at the bottom of my garden, actually. I'm, I'm tucked away here. And uh, yeah, since the pandemic, this is where I've, I've kind of hung out. So yeah, Gillian, when I was speaking to her about setting up this interview, said, no, 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 I want to come over to you, Robert. So I'm really delighted that you've come over. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast, Gillian. Pleasure to be here, actually, in your lovely compassion shed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, start this question for most of my interviewees. How's the quality of your of your work life right now? Probably, Robert. To be honest, getting better. Actually, I think uh, over the last kind of eighteen months, two years, well, particularly with the pandemic, and even running into the pandemic. It wasn't an easy market in the UK, or particularly in London, because we had, probably for our, well, life and business, we had a terrorist attack in London in the November. We had quite challenging trading in the December with a kind of general election and different things. We then had enormously difficult weather, and then we ran into, I think with the worst storms in nearly, was it 50 years or 100 years, and then we ran straight into the pandemic and closing the business down. So... It's been an extraordinary, it feels like two years, it might not have been that, but it feels like an extraordinary two years. But as we're emerging from things now, people are more optimistic, myself included, and actually it's getting better, but it's been a challenging couple of years. Yeah, Yeah. no, sure. I mean, obviously being in the hospitality business, you know, it's a sector that's probably been hit 
arguably the hardest. So I'm just interested in how you and your team's resiliency has, has held up over these last 18 months. Yeah, I think um, going into it, probably the first... I've got a chap, actually, he's been with me since I founded the business, Rob Mitchell, an exec chef, and I saw him earlier. Uh, today I've just come from the folly, one of our sites in the city, which I'd seen to you before we were, uh, when we were chatting, was actually quite busy, and we're like, this is the first normal day we've seen in two years, so it was really quite nice to just sit and look at customers having a nice time. But I think going into the pandemic... What was brilliant was we were all really quite in it together and it was a bit of a blitz mentality. Not that I lived through the blitz, but I had plenty of stories from it where everybody was working together. So Rob and all the chefs were delivering food to the food banks. We were closing down the businesses. We are making sure everybody was safe. So I think it was actually, even though it was hugely strange time it was quite brilliant because people became really close and worked together for a kind of common good of everything I think in the second and third lockdowns it was a bit different and by the final one I think it was very challenging for people I think hospitality is all about connection isn't it and making people as you know from your own business uh, experience as well and the businesses that you've had is about people coming and having a great time with Mm. you and great food and drinks actually so I think In terms of people being resilient, I think people in hospitality have been brilliant. And the other thing about our sector that's been quite good, we've had enormously brilliant support from a few different places, like Hospitality Action Line, of people setting up and actually, whether it be helplines or networks to really help people get through things, and also our own business, setting up our own network to help people put a, a kind of virtual arm around people and even some of the things our team did throughout the whole um, lockdown I mean, we prepared not just for our customers playlists because I think music's quite an important thing in terms mm. of creating engagement with people and we did a kind of whole series of one of our um, Kate who works with us did a whole piece about how to create a Drake and Morgan at home not just for our employees but also for our customers to say how to feel comfortable and happy at home not just through music but actually how you might set yourself up at home and actually just taking care of yourself and being kind to yourself, really. Sounds like lots of creative and and some positive things came out of it, but very challenging at the same time. Definitely. I saw you quoted, and and I agree with this, because you're never too old to learn. So I just wondered if there's anything specifically uh, you're exploring for yourself currently. Yeah, a a few things, actually. Um, I always like to try and take up a kind of new interest every year and going into the pandemic, one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, learn to paint actually. I've been really fortunate to be able to do again now, which is good, I'm absolutely terrible, but actually a bit of a work in progress. And the other thing that I'm doing quite a bit of now, I used to play tennis when I was young and then took it back up again when I was 50 a few years ago and I've been playing, uh, well clearly on my own because you weren't allowed to play in England, but I've been playing quite a lot of tennis in between meetings and different bits and pieces. A lovely place in London, eh, behind King's Cross at Cartwright Gardens. So I've been, I've even, I play with a coach there and I've beaten him in recent times actually, which I'm quite proud of. Very good. <laughs> yeah, which is brilliant. So yeah, a lot of health and fitness and yeah, just taking a bit of time now to, you need, to, I think post this pandemic, one of the things you really need, particularly for our business and most of all for myself, is headspace. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of time now to think and reflect because 
when you've operated in a crisis mode for about 18 months, you need to be able to come out of that mode and actually think now about the kind of next stage of life and what you want to do personally and professionally, Mm -hmm. really. So you say Headspace. Obviously, there's a very famous app uh, called yeah. Headspace. H- how are you finding Headspace? What What are you using to help you? Well, I, I'm a great walker, actually. I walk everywhere. And uh, I, being Scottish, that was a great hobby as you grow up. Actually, not lots of other things to do apart from roaming in the gloaming. And, uh, yeah, so I walk everywhere. And I find nature a very good thing. So, yeah, just taking the time to walk. Any meetings I have are walking meetings anyway. In terms of people walk with me, our business is a bit scattered all over London, so we're able to walk between places and have a bit of space. But yeah, I find walking a really good thing, actually, to be out and just have movement and exercise and just think, really. Yeah, I'm probably not as much into technology. I think really through the pandemic, um, probably with my business life, I was forced into more technology. If anything, I probably wanted to be, uh, that's why it's a pleasure to see you today, Mm. in that less teams, less video, less whatever, actually let's meet and connect with people as well. More connection, which is at the heart of your business as well. So you're you're walking it and talking it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Just just keeping on Drake and Morgan, interesting because I used to do this in my business. You know, you you and your teams often take inspiration trips, find new ideas to, to keep everything fresh. Always interested to hear what people have been up to, whether you've been on anything recently and Anything you've learned? Well, I, I think we've learned from a lot in the UK because I think um, London was probably a bit of an epicentre in uh, over the last kind of 10, 15 years of there's been so many great operators that arrived in the UK. But what's happened during the pandemic is the coastal towns, the suburbs have really thrived and grown. And I think that people have, their appetites have changed. They've become more sophisticated, their palate and what they drink and what they eat. So actually, we've spent a bit of time, whether it be in Scotland, our exec chefs just back from Cornwall and Devon, looking at lots of different offers there, because I think people have really evolved and developed in the UK, so there's some brilliant things. And actually, Robert, on Tuesday night, I went to the Katie's. It was the first time they had it in two years. I was sitting next to a very lovely guy, one of the Bailey brothers, who's founded a beautiful restaurant in Liverpool by Albert Dock, Lairpool, which is... The Welsh for Liverpool, and he, we were talking all about. I think he'll end up being an ambassador for Wales. He's very fun, and we were talking about actually the creativity that's around the coast and in different cities. So we're probably going to spend a bit more time in uh, the UK looking at different coastal towns and such like to see inspiration there. But hopefully when travel resumes properly, some of the team, and myself included, will be over California to visit my sister, who I know you know, and actually do uh, spend a bit of time there looking at some innovation and creativity. And actually next Friday, um, I'm going to the Middle East myself, actually, to a part of a thing which is brilliant called the Global Restaurant Investment Forum, which basically will be taking part in that. There's a lot of different operators coming from all around the world. I'm very excited to be able to connect and see people in person and listen to some of their innovation and creativity and particularly a lovely chap from Sunset Hospitality who's been doing a lot of new things and also the Livet guys are coming who's the chief experience uh, people that are coming from there to talk about new customer experiences so it'd be great to be in the Middle East and I'm hoping to in that time be in Saudi Arabia as well to see some of the new development that's going on there in terms of creativity yeah I think 
it's always good to take the time and headspace to travel to different parts of the world or in the UK to see people that are doing things at their best and learn and bring a bit of the essence of that back to Drake mm. & Morgan to help it evolve. Yeah, that sounds great. I love the coastal ideas as well because, uh, yeah, sometimes we just think everything better is, is elsewhere but we don't always look around the corner, do we? So. So I want to move on now to really the heart of what this podcast is, is all about, which is compassion, and just really to explore what, what you understand by the word compassion, what, what it means to you. For me, I think compassion is really about, I suppose, standing in somebody else's shoes and listening and actually being aware of them. I, I, I think, yeah, compassion to me is just about listening to people, understanding thinking about the things that they want and what they need effectively. And for me, I think about compassion for myself. It's about actually taking time to think about as a person what I need and what I need to do to flourish and grow, really. And actually, really in compassion, I was thinking, as I was coming here, I've been thinking about it over the last few days, but I was thinking about it as I was on my way here, really, I was thinking compassion, actually, what does it mean if I, to sum it up in one word, kindness? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it means kindness to me, I think. Yeah. No, a number of people, you know, there's a real similarity with that. And, uh, yeah, I really like not only compassion for others, but it's very important to have that compassion for ourselves. And, and there's always the analogy of the being on the plane and the, you know, the oxygen mass coming down, that we can't help others until we've got that oxygen ourselves. Mm. And, and I see that as self-compassion. Do you think there's a role for compassion and things like emotional intelligence, mindfulness, these sort of things in the workplace? Definitely. I, I was inspired when I set up my own business um, by two girls that were at Ogilvy that wrote a book called Inside a Pretty Little Head, which was a beautiful book that talked about women influencing about 80% of the purchasing decisions. And when I read it, it really helped me think about actually what would the influence of women be in my, in my own business and how did I feel about it as a, a, a customer as well. And one of the things that was in the book and inside A Pretty Little Head was about kindness and actually people being kind to oneself and kind to others actually. So do I think there's a role for uh, compassion in business and in life, of course, and even more so post the pandemic what what a really beautiful thing that came out of the pandemic was this renewed humility and kindness in people so there was a time that people just were connecting with one another on a, a level and I think if anything now as people come back to work into offices and even home home working as well because people are quite lonely all different ages and stages in life I think there needs to be not just in wellness it's not just about the physical fitness Here's a doggy arriving. <laughs> Wanted to take part. Yeah, we've got a house guest. Hello. This is, nice to meet you. This is the dog. Hello. You're normally here in the afternoons. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, hello. Am I in your way? Come up and have a cuddle. <laughs> Are you pleased? Dad's got a guest today. I was very pleased to be here as well, actually. This is Doogie. Hi, Doogie. Oh, and a Scottish. We were uh, talking about how important it is, in, and you think that it definitely has a role to play. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we were chatting about what you call it, compassion, or my form of it is kindness, mm. particularly post the pandemic, of people coming back to the workplace and I think a lot of people 
Robert really during the pandemic lost their social skills as well so I actually think this kindness and compassion thing is so important to help people be more confident in their workplace and be more respectful of one another as well so I think it yeah I think it's a very important thing I was with a lady earlier her um, husband works with us and she's doing a pop-up shop with us she makes all our candles well she makes candles and we buy her lovely candles and she's doing a pop-up shop and candle experience at the Folly and her nephew who's studying at university has come to work with us for a few weeks bar backing and she was saying to me how much she notices confidence has grown with his social skills in the last few weeks post the pandemic and she I said to her it's so important for people to have connection and she was saying Dougie wants back in <laughs> come on Dougie you're like dad don't keep me out hello hello and yeah it's important to have people um, in the workplace and maybe the future is Robert that there are compassionate people and compassionate champions in lots of different businesses cool well I think I think you you pretty much are convinced that yeah compassion is uh, a good thing in the workplace and would you go as far to say as you know embracing compassion kindness in the organization maybe in the culture could be a competitive advantage definitely if you look at even in recent times now, there's quite a few companies that have put together marketing campaigns on being kind. So I don't know if you've seen the PrEP campaign recently. It's talking about being kind to the staff um, because people have kind of got... Uh, hospitality's been very impacted in lots of ways and actually generally, even post-Brexit, there's quite a skills shortage and staff shortage in the UK at the moment. And actually, people have been kind of not quite as understanding of people in hospitality because they're kind of a bit overworked, they've not been working for a while and then they've come back and actually put under quite a bit of pressure. So this whole thing of being kind to people is very, very important. And in addition, I think the most important thing is being kind to yourself. I think in a in a business, being able to say that as a leader of a business, look, this is how I treat myself and actually I make the time to whether it's be meditating, as we are chatting about earlier, or exercising or walking, and having uh, the right work-life balance is so important. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think we've seen... My, my sister lives on the west coast of America, and I, I do think they're much more advanced. My, I was always very inspired by... I was very fortunate she lived there for a couple of decades to be able to go there. I always thought they were ahead in terms of actually thinking about work-life balance actually thinking about the future, thinking about wellness at work and nutrition and such like. And I think all of those things are flowing across the Mm. pond here, no Mm. question. But there are still organisations out there, Gillian, that see this all as a bit hokey, a little bit, you know, soft skills. What do you think holds them back from embracing this and and, and being kinder to their people themselves? Um, Probably, I, I think, quite a lot of people are perhaps a bit scared of change and actually I think part of what you're doing is great and this programme at Stanford to be able to bring and bring that to communities and talk to people about it not just through this podcast that you're doing but it might be in lots of different ways I think people just need like anything an education around it and maybe a framework to help them because quite a lot of people might actually want to do something but might 
maybe not know how to do it in terms of that. So it's, a, I suppose, like the old teach a man to fish analogy. I think people need perhaps a framework and need some help or maybe some great case studies of where it's working well elsewhere to say how could you implement that in a different way. I mean, you look at something like the Prince's Trust and we've had lots of Prince's Trust ambassadors in our business or different interns and different things and actually what I've always found quite refreshing from that is we've learned tons from them. They've brought us new things, fresh thinking and different elements. So for me, maybe go and learn from a business or another business or another charity or whatever to actually say how do you embed compassion into your business or to your charity how might we help embed that in so I think we just need some people to help us with it and the project you're doing is brilliant really and I I think that can only help us put our framework together so I think it's just people needing help really. Thinking of Drake and Morgan I mean you're you're very I've always found your business you know you you're very good people you invest in your people it's a lot of collaboration I remember your Whenever you change the menu, it was a really big deal and you'd bring everybody together. Do you have any kind of systems or routines at the moment where you're trying to promote compassion and kindness or self-compassion, talking to people about how to look after themselves? To be honest, we need to do a lot of work on it. I think we were in a survival mode and early in the year we did a, a, a CVA which uh, probably a year ago I thought oh my god that would be a terrible thing to do and actually all our time was spent really or my own time uh, should I say was spent on saving the business and actually we're now through that phase we were in a phase of actually settling and we're now in a phase of thriving so we've actually got the time now to be able to say what do we need to do and actually, what does the future landscape? It's one thing to write the business plan, but it's another thing about the people plan. And actually, I've got the headspace and time now. So partly, although I'm going to this uh, conference, I'm also going to take some time and headspace myself to think and connect with a few people to say, what are you doing around not just compassion, wellness, um, stability? Are there any other lessons that I can learn from elsewhere? And to read and listen, really, from other people's experience. So definitely I'm going to take some time to kind of almost get a framework together. So probably got a lot of work to do around it, Robert, really. Just thinking about the hospitality industry as, as a total, I mean, you know, obviously been through a lot of suffering, trauma, really. Mm. How do you think the hospitality industry behaved through this whole period? I, I think in the beginning it was, and maybe mentioned earlier, a blitz mentality, everybody in it together. I think there was quite a lot at the front of it, feed the NHS, there was a quite a piece around that, I think, and people, I mean, there's some fantastic examples of people doing marvellous things. I think Hospitality Action Line were incredible about um, supporting people. I've just become a trustee of the Drinks Trust, actually, because one of the things that I was reflecting on myself was, have I done enough, and is there more that I could do, given my time? And I'm really excited to do that and think about with some of the other new trustees we're uh, not getting together until October but actually how we might be able to um, do that so I think as a as a sector we behave well we probably felt as a sector we're in it together we then probably got a bit angry with all the amendments and changes and different things so we went into if somebody had said to me in my 50s mid 50s I'd be at a demonstration in Parliament Square I wouldn't have quite believed it but I was and taking part in that with lots of different people in hospitality so I think we went through all of that phase of anger being grumpy, writing to people, and we're now in a piece on recovery and actually working together from recovery. So I think people did their absolute best, Robert, but 
it's now a time I notice a lot of people I almost I said to somebody the other day it looks like people are suffering particularly people that led businesses and saved businesses and saved jobs they've almost got post-traumatic stress and people need to be kind to themselves and take the time to repair themselves mentally and physically before they can kind of move on to the next mm-hmm. stage so I think there's a bit of work to be done around that and I don't think people should be too proud in admitting that they actually might need some help as well yeah <clears throat> maybe a bit of vulnerability needs to be shown some humility it seems to me there was lots of online things lots of forums lots of discussions do you think it's brought the industry I definitely think it, it has because there was lots of what's up groups going on how could people work together how could people share staff how could they look after people all sorts of different informal networks in place I mean it's probably a silly thing to say but when I was reading the other day about all the in Afghanistan in terms of I was listening to podcasts the other day in Women's Hour about this um, Sandhurst, Sandhurst sisterhood of all the female officers that were helping um, families in Afghanistan and when I was listening to that the other day I thought it would be really wonderful thing to pull together a piece of work actually to say what actually happened in hospitality in terms of all these informal networks because amazing things happened that probably those stories have yet to be told mm. and should be shared effectively. I've been a bit removed from it but what I have seen it definitely looks like a lot of positivity people working together and and trying to help each other which again is, is a positive so again, just, just thinking specifically about compassion stories, I just wonder whether you have any stories where maybe you've received compassion or kindness at work and the, the kind of impact that it had on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, well, probably lots, actually. I was thinking, I'm recovering from a bout of flu, not COVID, uh, in terms of that. And I was thinking about exec chef Rob, who's worked with me for quite a number of years, actually, who rang me the other day. And of course, normally when people ring you very early in the morning, it's a crisis. As you know, Robert, having had a hospitality business, uh, all these different early morning calls or late evening calls are generally, they're often not good news in terms of that. So he rang me and I, I said to him, is everything all right? Immediately. And he said to me, yeah, I was ringing to ask how you are. So I, I was silent for a second because I'm generally quite a chatty person. And I said to him, that's so kind of you to take the time to give me a call and he said yeah we were just wondering he said because it's not often you're knocked out um, by something and I said to him do you know what it's a sunny day it's absolutely gorgeous although I've got a bit of the layer game recovering from it well and it's just so kind that he took the time so I I think every day in what I do I get examples of people that are just amazing and I, I, I think for me Rob doing that that meant something so material to me which was quite lovely and probably a, a relevant one as well we've got a wonderful lady who's a supervisor just being promoted to duty manager Cindy who's um, at the Folly and she's been doing everything apart from you know getting the business all back on track and doing everything from looking after our customers for parties and events to drag brunches and all sorts of mad things that we're all trying now to support our businesses and create experiences and support the arts to get things all back together Anyway, she's now become um, in charge of breakfast. We've only just started reopening for breakfast after two years. And I saw her this morning. She's done all the set-up with the team this morning. It was marvellous there. And I was saying to her how amazing it was. And she said, oh, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going to get there. And I said to her, no, it's a brilliant job, actually. And she was feeding back on, we've just done a big refresh that you mentioned earlier, about how well she thought that had gone. And I think lots of 
examples of compassion and kindness are just taking the time to listen and talk to people. And so, yeah, Rob giving me a call was actually a really brilliant thing because sometimes when you're the boss, people don't do that. Mm. You're calling people, aren't you? And people are reluctant to call you because they think they've got to call you with a specific message. But actually, and I have a great girl in the business called Tuesday who runs our sales side of the business. And I often ring her on a Tuesday because I think it's funny, but it's not that funny to say Happy Tuesday. And um, she rang me uh, yesterday. So I was like, oh, it's Wednesday. Why are you ringing me today? And she was ringing to give me some good news and great feedback and an event they'd had. So I was just like, yeah, I see examples of it every day. So Rob, Tuesday and Cindy all giving me feedback was brilliant, actually. Do do you get a visceral feeling from that? There's something called like moral elevation when, when you get that sort of either somebody's being compassionate to you or you're being kind to somebody else. Do you, do you get that feeling from it? Definitely. It Probably it's like it melts your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. It just melts your heart. And Jay, our general manager at the Anthologist yesterday, his wife, she's Malaysian and she's got, she's an accountant, but she's got a side business, uh, which is a brilliant business of making cakes. And Jay came for his business meeting yesterday and he his wife had made a cake for us all, which was a purple cake, which is seemingly a speciality in Malaysia, which I didn't know, so I was thinking, purple potatoes? Um, but anyway, the only time I've ever seen those in Shetlands, it was absolutely delicious. So, of course, when he opened the box of the cake and told us a story, there was probably about 15 or 20 of us there, and we all said that we all felt our hearts melted at that moment. So, yes, I think when compassion is shown at any point in life, it makes you feel like your heart is melting and you feel that great connection for a moment and longer. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Slightly switching it. I mean, you know, the opposite of, uh, of that is, is when we see people suffer. Have you got any examples or stories of, of when you've had people in your business suffering and, and how you've responded to that? When we were first bringing people back to work after, the, well, after kind of whatever lockdown number it was, I can't quite remember. It's funny, isn't it? We've all got like brain fog eh, post the pandemic. One of the things that I thought was quite important, people, particularly people that didn't live in London, were very frightened to come back to London. What we organised was actually to pick people up from stations and drive them. And then it probably sounds a really ridiculous thing to say to you. All the public loos in London were closed, weren't they? And the only place that had a public loo open was Fortnum and Mason's. So I uh, was picking people up from the stations and then saying, not to make people feel embarrassed, I say, we'll go to Fortnum and Mason's because the loos are open there and we'll know they'll be very high quality and then we'll be able to get a snack because it's a food store in the basement and they had their... Um, Delhi open and we can have a snack and we can sit in a park and have lunch so we did lots of different bits and pieces and uh, Rob again uh, get lots of shouts today Rob so I must be feeling very compassionate about Rob today <laughs> uh, Rob's on a motorbike so he was picking people up by bike zooming them places so that people would feel confident coming back to London because they had the train journey different elements are people scary in London there's nobody here so it was just getting people a bit settled and feeling comfortable Mm. coming back to the office and coming back to work and I think the biggest thing that I thought was be gentle with people and be gentle with myself and with the the team really so I thought that was an important thing to do. 
What's the biggest conflict you've had to manage at work, and, and how did that go? In recent times, Robert, do you mean? Just no, any not, time? Yeah, this is generally about the work environment. So I would say the most challenging time I've had in my life and career overall has been the past 18 months, actually. So the balance for me really was I wanted, having founded the business, and you'll know this having founded a business yourself, you feel really quite protective of it and the people that are within it. So actually thinking that that was all going to be gone was quite... It was a very strange feeling in terms of... So I probably went into a bit of fight-and-flight mode thinking, I'm definitely going to be leading this, a bit Bodicea. This is going to be a brave heart because I'm a Scot. This must survive. This business must survive. And I probably put myself under quite a degree of pressure around that um, to do that. And I, I think there's a balance to be had with investors, banks, all different people, because you're balancing getting things back on track, trying to manage stakeholders around all of that, and also look after your business. So yourself and your business, and then actually the kind of stakeholder management of things. So it was actually quite challenging. And then as we went through a CBA which I I thought was probably morally for me was something I probably would have been quite ashamed of doing. I would never have imagined to be in that position. I thought I was personally, I found that uh, a hard thing to get my head around to do and then to go to talk to landlords, to all our trade creditors, to talk to our employees about it. I personally had to get my head around that quite a bit. So I found actually doing a CVA, even though a number of people said to me, oh, there's nothing to be ashamed of, I thought, well, not that was explained that to them, but I, I did find that personally very difficult. However, being on the other side of it, it was actually the right thing to do. Mm. Um, it was completely the right thing to do. And I think one of the things that I've learned out of all of that is probably to be more compassionate to myself. And I've always got part of my DNA, I'm a McLean, and McLean's clan owner is virtue mine owner in terms of all of that. So my, my thing, my belief in myself is always to behave well. And actually, I've always thought that was with other people, but it's actually to yourself as well. So probably I've learned myself through all of this process through a very difficult and dark time that becomes a better time is to behave well with oneself as well. Mm, I really, really like that. And yeah, I've been through that CVA experience and, and, and very much like you, there was almost mm. like a guilt, a moral mm. feeling and it really hard to find the objective view on it. But mm. like what you've done, you, you've done mm. it for the best of the business and going forward. And, and you know, fortunately, I did that for my business and our business went on to grow again and, and was yeah. successful. And that's yeah. what he got to keep in mind but I also believe that we learn more through our most difficult experiences and challenges than maybe our best experiences and and that's always a positive. What behaviour would you say that you judge yourself most for? Well even if you ask many people that know me or work with me they would say I always think it's about what people say about you rather than what you say about yourself so the people that matter to me in the business are like our barbacks and KPs and different things. And 
I would say, for me, I think it's about being quite kind, actually. about I, I'm firm but fair, but I think it's about being quite kind. I think also, I mean, I don't know if it's just being Scottish as well, Robert, I think it's a very essential thing to have a sense of humour. That is one of the best things ever, isn't it? To have a sense of humour and be very grounded. And I'm very fortunate that I've... Uh, a very elderly mother who keeps me very grounded actually in terms of that so I think it's never a good thing to be too big for your boots really yeah humour we can take ourselves and life too seriously yeah we can waste a lot of time worrying as well do you have any triggers I mean are there any things in your work that, that trigger you either negatively or positively I was talking to a chap um, the other night, actually, at the Katie's, and he was saying he's an outgoing chief exec of a business, and he was saying that since he's been young, he's always had imposter syndrome. So we were having this discussion about imposter syndrome, and I said to it's syndrome, sorry, and I said it's a funny thing. I said that it's always about appreciating yourself and where you're at, and I think as a woman, it's it's a funny thing because it. Women tend to generally overwork, or particularly women of my generation, probably the role model that they were shown was you had to work harder to achieve or different things, and it's probably you know a, a different world now. But actually, I think if things are not going well, often you think you've got to work a bit harder to make it better, and you've got to kind of almost resist that to stand back from and help um, yourself around that to go, don't go down that rabbit hole again, because that's perhaps not the best uh, thing to do. A good thing, so that's maybe a kind of a negative thing I'd say that you've, an agent experience helps you, doesn't it? Because you can mm. kind of stand and go, that's a pattern, don't repeat that pattern, how mm. will you break it? And I think it's always good to have a, a kind of advisory group around you that you can have that will kind of call you on things as well or observe you. Your family and friends love you to death, don't you? So they sometimes can't be objective. So you do need an independent group of people that you see even for a coffee or a walk or whatever that will kind of call you on things and help you. But on a positive point of view, mm. I always think it's if you are looking after your own health and well-being and you feel good about yourself and you've made enough time for yourself because we've mm. all been there at different times in life, people start to see that joy in you and that actually is a bit of a contagious thing. And if they see that behaviour in you, that starts to permeate around you as well, which drives bigger and better things. And it beca- it gets momentum. Mm. And we were talking about momentum this morning. I had a meeting earlier this morning. And I was saying, do you know what? It's the first time in about two years. You know, we were in one of the sites. The music was lovely. It was nice and warm. The temperature was there. The scent was nice. You could hear laughter, people having coffee, you know, having a fun time. And actually, it was starting to build atmosphere and momentum, and you actually felt great in yourself. So I, I think it's about taking the time not to be too hard on oneself, really. And it sounds like you get positively triggered by other people and the atmosphere, kind of being connected and, and, and well, being in one of your bar restaurants and seeing people having a good time. Yeah, I grew up in a hotel. My parents had a hotel on the west coast of Scotland, I've only ever known to look after people. And even although I would say to my parents, that's slave labour, I'm not doing that when I leave school or go to university. Of course, never did much of going... I didn't go to university and I didn't uh, go to school very much either. But anyway, I ended up spending my life in hospitality. So what creates a great connection in me is actually watching people having a very great time 
in hospitality and whether that be in Drake and Morgan or other businesses, that actually is what melts your heart, actually makes you feel good. Just thinking about leadership, what do you think that the qualities are that a leader needs to build a good business and, a, and high performing teams? I think you know the kind of emotional intelligence piece is so important in terms of that and you can write a plan. And the most, you know, I always say to everyone, Drake and Morgan, two important assets, people and the properties. And you've got to really think about your people plan even more so than anything. So I'm really fortunate. I've got a chairman, a a chap called Tony Campbell, who's spent his life really assisting people growing businesses. And they're predominantly female entrepreneurs, actually. And he's a very female-focused chairman. And he really listens and it really knows how to bring out the best in people. And it's an interesting thing. He often talks to me about empathy, connection, product development, creativity. Do I have enough time for creativity and innovation? So I, th- I think anybody can write a business plan, but it's actually about how you bring it to life. And I think the softer elements, as people would have called them for many years, which will become all different things now, whether it's compassion, wellness, kindness, all sorts of different things, I think taking the time to put these pillars into what you want to do, not just in your business, in your life, is so important, actually. So uh, I think empathy is a very important thing. Mm. The more I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks since we first spoke about the podcast and compassion, I've been thinking a lot about kindness, how important that is as well, and actually making time for that to feedback, to say thank you to people in all different ways and give people feedback, because I... I think the model now needs probably smashed up a bit in terms of there's been quite a traditional business model in the UK and everybody's been very focused in the last few years about what's your sustainability credentials, what's your KPIs on X, Y and Z and actually there's not many people you go and you say well what are all your people KPIs, people used to manage it just on stability, retention or whatever and I know there's probably a lot more people that are a lot much more clever than me that would say, but I think that all needs to be redrawn now in terms of actually what are our people's stats and what do we want to actually measure going forward now. And there's a whole load of soft measures that need to be developed that actually will help leaders grow businesses. And I I think also the Duke of Edinburgh, when he was alive, they used to host a thing at um, St George's Chapel at Wynn, a CEO retreat actually, which I think has been going since about the 60s, and I read about it quite a bit actually, which was very ahead of its time in terms of thinking about people development and such like, and so for me, what do I want as a leader, and actually leaders going forward and the new leaders that are coming, is actually, I do think there need to be some forms of retreats and different elements and whether it be workshops or such like, to be put together to actually be able to... We just need time to think and talk about these. And my sister was telling me about a lovely thing in America, you probably know about it, Robert, called the Unconference, where people go together and sit around a campfire and actually have the time to talk. And I said to my sister, sign me up for that, because I'm actually very happy to go and sit with the like-minded people or not like-minded people and actually have a think about what's next. So, yeah, I think the leadership model needs to be evolved and I don't quite know what the answer is. Well, you said so much there and, you know, those KPIs, I mean, obviously maybe even a a kindness performance indicator, you know, that would be a double KPI really, wouldn't it, with the double K? But 
I, I think that measuring that and you know, there's talk in America about businesses being measured on a on a compassion index that is being worked on in the Stanford Business School that may well be rolled out. And and also those retreats, there's a guy called Jerry Colonna who who's a very preeminent business coach and he has a, a business in America in a couple of places. They run these retreats for business people and, and I've been on a quite a lot of retreats and those conditions that you can create on retreats being away from your phone being in nature bringing people together and and having some humility and vulnerability because it's a very lonely place being a CEO I've Mm. been there with you and and sometimes Mm. our thought is that everybody else is killing it and doing really well but when you actually get together and start talking honestly and truthfully you can share a lot and I'd really recommend Jerry Colonna does a great podcast where he's pretty much coaching CEOs and quite a lot of the CEOs that have been on these retreats and I, and I found that like fascinating and, and I think you're right I'm not sure it's happening in the UK yet mm. maybe that's an opportunity okay so you mentioned Tony he sounds like a great leader is there any other leaders that you admire out there that seem to be leading with emotional intelligence and compassion I um, listened to um, a podcast which kept me a bit sane during the pandemic by um, Terry Waite and Sir Anthony Seldon. There was, um, they did a talk actually, which was organised by the bank actually, by day to day banking, was with Coots actually. Sir Anthony Seldon had written a book I think called The Happiness Project, which I, uh, I read. And uh, Terry Waite, I was very inspired by him actually because. He talked about his time in captivity and it, it was probably a really relevant time because we were it was during a lockdown actually and he had composed quite a lot of poetry whilst he was in Beirut actually and which he's since published when he was released which was really quite beautiful. But the thing I was inspired about by Terry Waite, he's in his 80s now, was learning a new skill and he was learning during the pandemic to play the ukulele. And my mum, of course, is learning to play the ukulele um, as well. I've just moved her this weekend and moved the ukulele. And uh, it was very funny that um, he was talking about that. I thought, here's this man who has been incarcerated, suffered so much, and he was talking about during the pandemic how important it was to have joy and fun in your life and to learn a new skill. And I thought that was really quite beautiful. So I was quite inspired by uh, Terry Waite actually and I think there's lots of examples of people, I'm a great letter writer and I've written to the whole time through the pandemic to different people that I thought were doing a brilliant job from a leadership point of view as well. I mean there's so many examples of people that are doing brilliantly, it's just really quite incredible. So um who else was I thinking about actually that I thought was marvellous actually it was a really nice thing it's probably maybe not a leadership thing but there was just when you were mentioning earlier about CEOs one of the things that UKH organised during the pandemic was a weekly CEO call and you'll know having done that role Robert people are generally very competitive and so to put all these people on a call together I was a bit like gosh I don't know what this is going to be like in terms of particularly as a woman sometimes People often talk over you, so it's a, a funny thing, a kind of who shouts loudest type thing. But actually, that was a bit like Samaritans. It was almost like a bit like self-help. So I was 
quite impressed um, about that. And there was a couple of people that were on that call on a regular basis that really, I thought they really stepped up leadership-wise, actually. Yeah, I think there's lots of brilliant examples. And somebody, I think, in our sector in hospitality that I thought was brilliant during the pandemic that really stepped up not just to be a chef, but to be a philanthropist and an activist was Angela Hartnett. Thought she was brilliant. Yeah, there's some real in, in difficult times, you know, mm. you really see the cream kind of rise to the top. What's your greatest fear? My greatest fear is not succeeding. I think that's probably what keeps me going. Um, in terms of mentioned earlier Robert I thought the CVE would be a terrible thing actually now on the other side of it it was the right thing it was almost like the great crumbling for me how could this business that I built and people invested again I didn't want to let the bank down I didn't want to let investors down I didn't want to let the employees down and actually I probably faced it in that I thought oh my god what will happen post um, all of this and actually it's a relatively optimistic time and things are growing again and actually getting back on track. So I probably faced my greatest fear of not succeeding and I was very frightened of that. But actually, as I got through it, the, the night of the CVA, and you'll know having done these things as well, I, I didn't, uh, wasn't sleeping well in the, the weeks uh, before it and particularly the night before it and of course as one knows you need to sleep because uh, sleep deprivation is a very horrible thing and uh, for women it's generally tears if they don't have enough sleep anyway and after the CVA was done in the meeting and different elements you probably I didn't quite know what to do with myself and I, I'm generally a peppermint tea and water drink and I'm generally very sensible but I ended up celebrating with a Diet Coke I didn't quite know what to do with myself because I thought I need the caffeine and I need a bit of energy and I remember sitting, thinking, oh my God, that's done. And it wasn't actually as bad as that. So I think my greatest fear that I, I kind of faced, I thought, wasn't actually that bad. And I'm not frightened of dying. I'm not frightened of that. I, I don't have any fear of that because I feel so fortunate in the life I live, actually. So I probably faced that, actually. Wow. No, that's a great, mm. that's a great story. And it always reminds me that their thoughts not facts we do a lot of thinking thinking that it's real but they're not they're just in our consciousness and they're just going round. well Gillian it's been fantastic you're my first interview in the compassion shed so thank you very much for joining me I love your business I'm so pleased that you've come through the other side it really does deserve to succeed because I know the passion the care the attention and how I've seen you look how you look after your people and the energy you bring into a room so I'm really pleased you're going to have the opportunity to carry that forward yeah thank you very much and taking the time out thank you to you and to Sam and to Doogie who popped in uh, to listen around my handbag and say hello as well you've got a beautiful home the compassion shed for those that get a chance and the privilege to come here do come because seemingly I'm a first guest so I hope I'm the first of many that come to the Compassion Shed and look forward to Bless you bringing all your project to life Robert thank you and just if anybody wanted to find out a bit more about Drake and Morgan and yourself where would they where would they go to where would you point them to of course must come to a bar and restaurant but of course must take a look at the Drake and Morgan website actually that's probably the easiest way to get hold of us and what's that website address do you that's Drake and Morgan, uh, www.drakeandmorgan.co.uk.